I'm Marty Dodson. And I'm Clay Mills. Welcome to Songtown on Songwriting. Hey, everybody. We got Melody Maestro, Clay Mills here in the Zoom today. Oh. And, and that's you. And, <laughs> that's me. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about mistakes that Melody writers make. So, Clay, you want to kick it off and just tell us some of the most common things. I'll, I'll ask you some questions because I know I'll have questions about some of them. Yeah, I think I'll even narrow it down farther I'll, because I see this in my master class this year. The number one thing when students are turning in songs is they don't have enough contrast between sections of the songs. And I would say it, over the last five or six years, this has been really important in all genres. If you listen to hit songs in all genres, but I think even more so in the last year, um, my students are telling me I give them listening assignments and I don't tell them what to listen for. And they all came back this year and said, wow, I was blown away how each section almost sounds like a different song. And it's real important. So I thought today we could just talk about um, how, I mean, there's specific things you can do to make sure that each section of your song sounds different. And so I thought we could talk about that. And they're not hard things to do. You can go back and rewrite your songs, just like you're rewriting a lyric. You can go back and put these things into play in your songs, and it'll instantly make them more engaging to, to do just these simple. They have five different things that you can look at and straighten out that tune. Awesome. So what are those things you can do? Well, I mean, some of it traditionally is pretty obvious, like with your melody note range. Traditionally, if you have a verse, you don't want to go, you know, to that high note of your chorus in your verse. You want to save that. You know, they call it the money note. Um, so, I mean, that's a pretty obvious one. For instance, um, let me see. Um, Marty, if we were writing a song and I said the first, first line was, anytime you walk in a room, what would you, what? Anytime you walk into a room, what would you come up with next? Can't find the air to breathe. Okay. Anytime you walk into the room, can't find the air to breathe. Might speed it up. Anytime you walk into the room, can't find the air to breathe. Okay, so that's going to be our template. Now, if that's our verse melody in the chorus, we we don't want to stay in that range typically. We want to go up higher. Anytime you walk into the room, I can't find the air to breathe. Now, you understand we're just making this up on the fly. <laughs> um, so... But you get the point. You want to go up. Now, these days, there's a lot of chill songs where actually the melody goes down. So you have to be careful. You kind of have to pick a melody note, and that's your melody note. So even if you're going down, for instance, that old Garth Brooks song, on, I got friends in low places. Well, he sings really low on that low places, and it's an effect. It, it grabs your attention. That's the money note. But if you were hammering that note throughout the verse, when he did it in the chorus, it's not going to matter. You know, kind of like if you've got a title for your song, but you're hammering one of the words in that title over and over in your verse, 
um, in that lyric, it's not gonna it's gonna lessen the effect when you get to the chorus. So it it's you gotta stay away from that money note in your chorus. Now you'll hear some exceptions, but if you're really trying to write the best song you can, save the money note for the chorus, whether it's a high note or it's a low note. Do you I think a lot of times that? people perceive that it's only going up into the core, like you always have yeah. to go up. But what you're talking about is just more about the contrast between the two sections, right? Yes, absolutely. And today, I mean, it's a lot of songs today have all kinds of contrast um, and you don't necessarily have to go up in the chorus. I mean, it always feels good to people when you do that, but there are other ways, and we'll talk about the other ways to, to create that contrast so that even if you're going down, it can still feel intense and feel like a chorus. Um, the second thing I would say, and this is something that I've just seen the last few years that's become way important, is if you're starting your melody, say on beat one, it, your vocal comes in beat one of the bar in the verse. So let's say um, one, two, three, four. Say one, two, three, four. Anytime you walk into the room. I can't find the air to breathe. So those two lines come on one, two, three, four, downbeat. They come right there on the one. So if I do that and I get to the chorus and I start right on beat one of every bar in the chorus, people are going to tune out. It's They want to hear you come in somewhere different. So if I'm doing anytime you walk into the room, I can find the air to breathe anytime you walk into the room. So if I'm going right into the chorus on that, you could hear I started three beats, one. Anyt yeah, I started on beat two, one. Anytime you walk into the room. So I started almost a whole bar before the chorus started with that down with that um chorus section, the melody. Um and that also gives you like some kind of feeling of you're speeding up and you're kind of ramping up into that chorus. Um, you might want to come in after the beat. So um, let's see uh, if you're coming in beat one on the verse. Let's get to the chorus and let's start um, maybe right after the downbeat, like the and, and kind of give it a kind of a more pushed feel in that way. Um, three, four. Anytime you walk into the room, I can't find the air to breathe. Okay, chorus four one. Anytime you walk into the room, girl, I can't find no room to breathe. So it's like one, ba -ba -ba -ba, and I'm coming in right after. Now you also notice I did another thing that's cool. Um, I changed up the rhythm, so. That's another giveaway. If if your verse is anytime you walk into the room, I don't want to get to the chorus and just raise the melody and have that same rhythm. Anytime you walk into the room, it's just not enough contrast. But if I get to the chorus and I go one, anytime you walk into the room, girl, I can't find no room to breathe. Now I know you wouldn't write a lyric like. Girl, I can't find no room to breathe. 
but I needed the syllables, Marty. That's quite all right. You, you can have that syllable. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one thing I noticed in that was that that when you're pushing it like that and coming in a little later and changing up the phrasing, it also gives it a different energy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what that's a good way of looking at it. You want to have contrasting energies. And often in your chorus, you want to have a feeling of more intense energy. So by kind of speeding up the rhythm, you, it achieves that. Um, another thing I see is a lot of times when people have pre-courses in their songs, if you've got a busy verse, what do you do? You get to that pre-course, you want some long notes. And I look at it, I call it like a palate cleanser. Because when I get to the chorus, I'm going to get busy again. So if I use that pre-chorus with some long notes, do a little palate cleansing, when I get to that chorus, it's like, ah, now I'm busy again. But if I had started off busy in the verse, busy in the pre-chorus, busy in the chorus, then it would be, you know, just a busy song and people would tune out of that because there's not enough contrast. So just taking those two lines on. Anytime you walk into the room Girl, I'm to breathe Maybe then when we get to the pre-chorus like Oh, you're taking me down When I walk into the room Then I do a little bit of wind up going into the chorus. When you walk into the downbeat. So you're ready for the busy notes again because I did those long. Ooh, 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 taking me down. When you walk into the room. Contrast. It's not that hard, but it's so easy when we're writing to just get locked into a groove, locked into a melody rhythm locked into a note range because it feels good but the best writers when you're looking at you know the ed sheeran's and the taylor swift's and the people that consistently have great hit songs over and over and over uh, the ryan tedders the um you know in the country world um the marty dotson's the <laughs> there you go um that's not a mistake that marty and i would make so um no. And I, I think I heard a quote from Ryan Tedder. I think he said he wants to give people something new every four to eight bars. Yeah. And so if you think of it that way, it's like I do my verse and I go, okay, well, I'm going to give them something new. What's something new and, and contrasty to what I did in the verse in the pre-chorus. Yeah. Or if I'm going right into the chorus, you know, just being conscious of that change so that there's always something interesting coming. Yeah. I mean, in that for him, um, knowing his stuff, that's not always the melody. Sometimes it can be the first half of the verse has no hi-hat, and then he brings in the hi-hat for the second half. Like, he's mm -hmm. thinking in terms of melody and then also in production because he's a great producer. Right. But, yeah, that, I mean, that's important. You've got to always be introducing new things. And you're right, at least every eight bars, but four a lot of times even. Mm -hmm. And I think melodically... A great rule of thumb is to just always contrast. And so we talked about melody range. Don't hit your your money note. Um, save that for the chorus. Um, what beat of the bar does each melody line come in on? If you're coming in beat one, get to the next section. Come in on beat two, or come in before the downbeat of the bar. Come in, you know, 
three beats early, what, whatever you have to do to vary it up. And then the rhythm patterns, you know, if your rhythm pattern, for instance, um, in my melody mastering book, um, we talk about line plus three, where you'll have a line and then you'll have three hits like bum, bum, bana, dana, one, two, three. And so if that's your pattern in your verse, you don't want to do that same pattern in your chorus, you know, and, and so in Mastering Melody Writing, we, we do talk about all the different types of patterns that um, play off of that line plus system. And it's so it becomes easy to tell, OK, I'm doing line plus three in the verse. Let's do two plus line in the chorus or two plus line plus one or, or whatever it is. And I think if you get really conscious of thinking of melody, not as just what notes do I choose and what chords, but you think of what rhythm patterns, I think if you if you can lock into that, you're going to be a lot more commercial today. I think that's that's been one of the most helpful ideas to me from your book as a as a primarily a lyricist is that because even if I'm not hearing the melody, I can write my lyrics to that phrasing pattern. So if I'm right. doing the line plus three, I can be conscious of getting those syllables to to wind up on the line plus three. And it it just gets me out of my rut because I'm really bad about kind of getting this um, melody like line length and phrasing in my head. And I kind of just do that throughout the whole song and it really gets boring. Even if I'm raising it, like you're talking about, it's, it's very similar phrasing. And so that line plus idea has been really, really helpful to me. Yeah. And you know, the, should we Rick roll everybody? <laughs> do it. <laughs> That's where I first, it kind of first dawned on me. This line plus three was, um, never going to give you up. Never gonna make you cry. Never gonna want two, three. You know that. Never gonna want two, three. Never. And I started noticing. You know, there there was a song out last year. Um, it's like I'm on the edge right now. Bum 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 bum. One, two, three. And then you know, I, then I started going. Let me think back in history. And I was going, okay, yesterday by the Beatles, um, eighteen twelve overture, classical music. I was going. How many songs use this? And I was hearing it everywhere. But then I started hearing all these different variations of them. And so it really clued me in to like an easy way to start hearing rhythm patterns. So I didn't just rely on, please, God, help me come up with something catchy today. You know, so it, it kind of, I mean, I, you know, I still say a prayer. I can write that magic song every day, but it's it makes it a little bit more in your control to understand, okay, these rhythm patterns work, you know. I was watching Ted Lasso last night, and they Rick rolled her funeral. <laughs> <laughs> so they sang that song at a funeral. That's a whole it's, other story. But, you know, it's funny, though. I mean, that song, you know, has survived for decades, and it just uses a basic, you know, line plus three pattern. And there's so many songs that use it, so many. I know people, you know, since Meatloaf passed away, people were talking about that song, I Won't Do That. Is that what it's called? I won't, yeah. Yeah. But it, it has that in it, you know. Do yeah, anything do for love, but I won't do that. Yeah. <laughs> there's your three. Anything for love. I like that song. That was a great song. What a yes. tremendous um, singer. And Rick, who was the, um, the writer of that stuff? Rick um, Steinman um, or... I don't remember. 
Yeah, um, brilliant writer. He wrote a lot of that stuff. Gosh, great yeah. music. Great stuff. Paradise by the Dashboard Lights, man. What a title. Yeah. Yeah. So what are, so what are some other uh, mistakes you see Melody people making? Well, just to stay on this contrast um, thing, let's talk about uh, one more thing, and that's syncopation versus straight notes. So that, you know, and that's one thing I don't hear enough of, especially like in the country genre is syncopation. So what I mean by that is if you're counting one, two, three, four, a straight melody would be right on those beats. One, two, three, four. Syncopation's on the upbeat. So one, two, three, four, one, uh, 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 uh. You know, it's that kind of um, in between the beat, upbeat kind of thing. So um, line plus three is great for that because you can get that second beat um, syncopated. Every time you walk in. Let's see what key I'm in. Every time you walk into that room, bum, 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 bum. you know, doing that as opposed to every time I walk into the room, I can find the air to breathe. You know, that gets a little boring by today's standards. So if you're doing real straight stuff in the verses, it's great to, to go into, you know, um, do the syncopation stuff in your courses. And then that just offers a different way to contrast. That's great. That's my story, man. That's my melody contrast tips for the day. All right. Those are awesome. <laughs> you know, in your classes that you teach, what, what are some of the common mistakes you see people making outside of what you just mentioned? Um, I would say that, but I would also say, the biggest thing that I try to get my class to do is we do a lot of time listening each week. I give them homework assignments for listening and getting time in, putting time in listening outside of your genre. And what that does is they start seeing that the techniques I'm teaching, they start seeing it's not just in the genre that they want to write in. If they're a country writer, they're going, oh my gosh, they're doing all the things I want to do, they're doing in other genres. And so you start getting this picture of that music is this bigger language. Melody is a big language that's universal, as opposed to if you just grew up listening to James Taylor and you learned a few songs and that's your whole vocabulary, you're not going to have a, a universal vocabulary. And it's not going to be an up-to-date vocabulary. It's going to be things that were popular to that group of listeners, you know, back then, decades ago. But it's common. People grow up listening to music and they go, I love this. They learn every song by their favorite artist. And then they kind of stop and then they start writing. And, and then everything they write pulls from that. So I try to get people to break out of that and start listening to new music start listening to styles that they wouldn't normally listen to and while you're listening go i like that but don't just stop there go i like that why do i like that and then when you figure out why you like it you go hmm i can use that for one of my songs you know not that you would steal a melody or anything like that but 
just like some of these techniques I talked about with contrast, you hear a technique and you go, oh, I'm going to use that technique in my song. So I think if you can get outside of yourself and start listening to the world around you and start going, why do I like that? You know, why do what are they doing there? Why, why does this work even though the melody goes down in the chorus? And you start asking those questions, um, you know, you could, you could take a melody master class or a lyric master class from us and we'll get you started on that road. But I know with us, Marty, we always try to teach people how to teach themselves so that they can learn. And that's what I teach my classes, what to listen for, and how to start implementing what you're hearing into your own music. And it pays off, pays off big. And I've heard you talk about this and we, we talk about this a lot in Songtown too, that, you know, it, it, it's great to use influences from the music you grew up on yeah. in, your, in your current writing, but you can't use what you grew up on as the foundation of your current writing or you're writing really dated kind of stuff. So, you know, if, I'm, if I love the Eagles, and I'm writing stuff that would have gone on the Eagles next record if they'd done one, then it's not going to sound current and contemporary. And and you alluded to the listening, you know, we run into people all the time who say, Oh, I hadn't listened to country radio in 20 years. I just hate that stuff, but that's what I'm trying to write, yeah. you know? And, and it's, it's impossible to, to write stuff that feels contemporary and, you know, is going to be in the ballpark unless you're really listening to it. And, and then you can go, oh, I've got some elements from the music I grew up on that would be a cool addition to this kind of right. th you know, thing. So I, I think that's important idea is to fill your toolbox with things that you loved about the music you grew up on and then incorporate that in, in um, contemporary ways if you're trying to be successful with it in commercially. Yeah, I mean, that vocabulary you grew up on, you can't, it can't be your only vocabulary. And I tell my students, why waste more time listening to that? Because that's in your DNA. You're never going to forget it. it I mean, it, that that's just ingrained. It's burned into your DNA. So spend your time listening to new stuff and, you know, balance all that out. Absolutely. Well, if you um, haven't seen it yet, you should check out Clay's new book. He wrote with Bill O'Hanlon called Mastering Melody Writing. It's actually an Amazon bestseller at the moment in the songwriting genre. Wow. Who would have thought that? Yeah, I know. We got a um, link to it in the um, show notes. So thanks for being here. Clay, thanks for sharing all your wisdom. Cheers. <laughs>